You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how you doing this evening? I'm doing great, man. I came home, and uh, my roommates and wife were about to watch Game of Thrones, and I was like, see you losers watching your nerd show later. I'm going to go record a cool podcast episode about magic. Do you watch Game of Thrones? I don't. We're going to get a lot of hate mail. I, I made it to season four, but I'm like a Game of Thrones hipster. I... I read Game of Thrones back in, like, my freshman year of high school, which would have been, like, 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. Like, way before Game of Thrones was cool. So, I've watched I've watched the show up to episode, or season four, and then I got behind, and I haven't. But you've read the books. I've read the first three books. I think there's four books now. I don't know. I don't know. We are going to get lots of hate mail, though. That's <laughs> um, How are you doing? You had a pretty exciting Sunday, right? Oh, my God, yeah. The, <laughs> the band where I teach at... Uh, was asked to uh, perform at the 20th anniversary of the Walmart in our town. So small, we are living we are living the small town life. So the band went to Walmart this afternoon and performed, and it was it was everything you would expect and more. Like it, oh man, <laughs> what happened? So we we played, which was normal. Like we played like pep band type stuff, you know, mm, 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 like all the all the good cheers that you would hear at basketball games, like in the uh-huh. family Walmart parking lot. And then just getting everyone hyped for Walmart. Yes, absolutely. Walmart hype. There were mascots. There's the Walmart mascot, Sparky. We had our school mascot. Uh, the Cheetos guy was there. I don't know what his name is. Chester. Chester the Cheeto man. Yeah, he was there. And then so it was time for the uh, Star Spangled Banner. So the Star Spangled Banner got played not once but twice. So the band played the Star Spangled Banner. I think not knowing that somebody was going to sing the Star Spangled Banner. So then a Walmart associate sang the Star Spangled Banner and like was super nervous like was a little younger than you and i maybe probably like 25 26 if i had to guess and like hands were visibly shaking while he was singing and mixed up the words and then no. like totally stopped before oh say does that stars bang and like yeah. people had to like the audience like prompted oh, him no. <laughs> just a little and audience then, participation so that that ended and then midway through like bringing in the associates that had worked there for all 20 years the american flag after the colors had been presented the american flag fell over (laughs) in the middle of presenting these awards and the eagle on top of the american flag snapped like like there was this audible breaking noise and both of his wings broke off and so like people like the people that presented the colors you know like the national guard type people like rushed and picked it up and were like they didn't know what to do like because the eagle had shattered so they just kind of like stood next to it the rest of the time it was oh my god it was a comedy of errors that's amazing it was everything you would want from a small town walmart celebration anniversary and more yes um yeah so that was that was my sunday afternoon and then i came home and uh drafted my drafted the rest of the day away before before the podcast here nice so uh how, how are you doing how was the your drafting the day away results it was good. I made it to the finals with a very good blue-red spells deck, and I'm in the finals again with a like white-blue control-type deck with Crested Sunmare and Approach of the Second Sun. Oh, and, like, both, nice. Both of those cards are like very built around in the deck. It's like a really good white-blue gain-life-slash-control deck. I have not had white-blue come together a lot, but when it does, I've really liked it. 
Yep, it's been very good for me. So we should we should check in on the uh, the trophy leaderboard. How, yeah. how have you been doing? You've been crushing it. You're what yep. are you now? Fourth, I am fifth place. Fifth place of the intermediate pleb scrub queue trophy leaderboard. But still, I'll t- I'll take it. Um, yeah. yeah, I have thirty seven trophies over one hundred and twenty five drafts. My win loss record is two thirty nine to one sixteen, which evens out to sixty seven percent. So cruising at a two thirds win rate altitude. Yeah, you're you're a monster. So you're trophying <laughs> almost one in three of your drafts. Yeah, between one and three and one and four. Yeah, that's insanely good. Uh, I have drafted a little bit less than you. I've got twenty one trophies. Uh, my overall record is one hundred fifty eight and seventy seven across eighty one drafts for a sixty seven percent win rate. So I'm trophying almost exactly one in four drafts. But I bet I've been to the finals in. I don't have the. I haven't. I stopped keeping track a little bit because it was too depressing. But I'm certain I've been to the finals in at least half my drafts, like based on what the number was before when I was actually keeping track of it. Does your not keeping track of that have to do with fixing the leak in your life right now? Yes, my life leak of no regrets. No regrets. No regrets. That was so funny. (laughs) Yeah. We were were drafting together and Ethan was Skyping in on my draft and... We were we I would make picks and then there would be like good cards of another color and I'd be like, Oh, this is brutal, I don't want to pass this card. Oh my god, why me? Why are there two red good red cards here? I only get to take one of them. And and you were just like, dude, what's your deal? <laughs> it yeah. doesn't matter. Like, you like open a good card for your deck and then there's another good card in the pack and you'd be like, Oh, this is the worst. It's like, wait, why? What's the problem? It's like when ch- chat points that stuff out, they're like, Oh, but you're passing open fire. I'm like, I'm not in red. That's fine. Right, right. I think maybe somewhere down the line we can talk about the philosophy behind that, uh, like why I think that's such a complete waste of energy. No, that'd be a, that'd be a really good episode. I guess I, I agree. I think you're right. I think yeah. I'm I think I'm lowering, and it's not just in magic too. Like I have that same mentality in other aspects of my life, and I think it's mm-hmm. lowering the overall quality of my life. Yeah. So I'm gonna button it up. I'm on it. Nice. Hashtag no regrets. All right. Well, today. We had such a good time last week breaking down the archetype of how to draft five-color good stuff in this format. We thought we'd do another deep dive on a different archetype in the format, blue-red spells. So similarly, the way we got into that discussion last week, we sat down at the round table to look over a draft. We're going to do the same thing this week. Ben, you got a, a sweet little draft for us here, right? Yeah, we're going to take a seat at the round table here and dive into one of my drafts. Uh, so I'll give you I'll give you the cards that were the most relevant uh, cards in consideration. We're going to go about like five or six picks deep. Your choices, pack one, pick one, are open fire, instant two and a red, deal three to target creature or player, uncommons, eternal of harsh truths, two and a blue for the one three with a flick two, and whenever it attacks and isn't blocked, you draw a card, consigned to oblivion, the blue-black split card that bounces a, a permanent or mind rots. And then Hour of Eternity, blue, 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 XX, exile X target creature cards from your graveyard, and eternalize those creatures. This is a tough pick, I think. It really, for me, comes down to Open Fire, uh, one of the best commons in the set, and Hour of Eternity, which I think is a really good, maybe not necessarily a bomb, but like as close to a bomb as you can get. There's a lot of setup for it. Like You really want to cast this for at least seven, usually, to get max value but if you've got anything with end of the battlefield or even a flyer or a death toucher or anything like that in your graveyard um i think this card really does work it's blue commitment scares me a little bit i think depending on how spicy i was feeling at the moment of seeing this pack one pick one i could see myself taking hour sometimes but open fire seems like the responsible pick that is what i took i took open fire and 
I, I do like Hour of Eternity as well, but I like picking it up more in the fourth and fifth range once I'm heading towards like a blue-green type deck. I think that's where it really shines. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, so first pick, we've got Open Fire in our pile, and we're on to pack one, pick two. Cards in consideration include Ronus's Stalwart, one in green for the 2-2, two -two, and when you exert it, it gets plus one, plus one, and can't be blocked by creatures power two or less. Vizier of the True, the white Vizier, three and a white for 3-2, and you can exert it as it attacks. Whenever you exert a creature, tap target creature and opponent controls. There's also the white Desert, Shafet Dunes, that's the uncommon white desert. And Burning Fist Minotaur, one and a red for a 2-1 first strike, and one and a red discard a card, give it plus two, plus zero until end of turn. I think worth noting in this pack, the rare is still here, Hollow One, the uncommon or the uh, artifact, the five mana four four that costs two less for each card you've cycled or discarded this turn, and it has cycling two on it as well. So Hollow One's in the pack, and there are four uncommons. I assume one of them was a foil. So that means someone to your right took a common out of this pack. So that that is, I think, some information with Burning Fist Minotaur and Vizier of the True in the pack. Yeah, for sure. But I think even if this were pack one, pick one. Burning Fist Minotaur, I think, is the best card here, right? I think so, too. Yeah, it's a two-drop, and it can attack into anything for quite a while. And also blocks quite well. Yeah, yeah, blocks, like all the Spellweaver Eternals of the world. Yeah, so I think very lucky for you that this lines up nicely with your first pick. Yeah, so I took, I did take Burning Fist Minotaur here, so I have two red cards in my pile now, Open Fire mm -hmm. and Burning Fist Minotaur, and we're moving on to pack one, pick three. Cards in consideration here, Gilded Ceridon, four and a red for a 4-4. Four, four. When it attacks, if you control a desert, or there's a desert in your graveyard, target creature can't block this turn. Even of Enduring Hope, the card that keeps going up and up for me, and yet I still don't manage to take it <laughs> often enough. <laughs> four and a white for a 3-3 three, three flyer, and when it enters the battlefield, you gain three life. Every time it gets cast against me, I just think, ugh. Yeah. Which makes me think I should be picking it higher, but I never quite pick it highly enough. So I, I was asking your chat the other day, like, where you think you pick it? Mm -hmm. I, I've kind of settled on like somewhere between picks five through eight, and I think you said you were a little closer to pick five. I think I would go closer to five, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm trying to think what I think the best white commons are, and I think this is number three, maybe? Like, Oketra's Avenger, then Dauntless Haven, then this. You think this is better than Sandblast? I just hate Sandblast so much. <laughs> like, I, I just feel like I can get Sandblast in my sleep, or I can, like, get impeccable timing, or I can just not have those terrible cards in my deck. But, I, yeah, I think this is better than Sandblast. I think I'm, I still think I have Sandblast above this, which is why I'm probably not getting this. I don't, I don't I'm not quite that down on Sandblast. So, Guild of Zerdon, Even of Enduring Hope, and Devotee of Strength, two and a green for the 3-2 with the activated ability of four and a green. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Am I, you still hit, you're still down on this card? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm not super thrilled with it. I think mostly because I had really bad experiences with it early on in the format, like three really bad experiences with it, and I literally have not played it since. Like wow. in, my first, in my first 10 drafts, I had it several times in decks I thought were good. Like I had these blue-green aggro decks that just aren't a thing like mm -hmm. with Overcome, and I think that really left a bad taste in my mouth about the card. So I'm probably too low on it. I think it's not an aggro card. That's what I think. Because the ability is very expensive. I think it wants to be in a, a deck that has Oasis Ritualists. It's a great mana sink for you. I agree. I think that's yeah. where it goes. But so I do really like the card, but I think it does need to slot into a specific deck. Anyway, we digress. What, what do you think the pick is here? 
I took Gilded Ceradon mostly because I wasn't thrilled with the power level of the pack, and mm-hmm. I already had two red cards. So I think Gilded Ceradon's probably slightly worse than both of those cards, even during Hope and Devotee of Strength. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that I already had two good red cards that I was very interested in playing made me lean towards the Donald. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me, and I would definitely uh, have made the same choice as you. Okay. On to pack one, pick four. Uh, this is a much better pack. Cards in contention include Steward of Solidarity, one and a white for a 2-2, tap to exert it, and create a 1-1 one, one white warrior token with vigilance. Can I pause you here? You can. As we, uh, I just want to make sure we spend the entire episode talking about the first four picks of your draft. Yep. Steward of Solidarity. If you play it on turn two, your opponent does nothing on turn two, or let's let's say even they're, they're tapped out, they cycle something. Um are you attacking with this card, or are you making a token? I'm attacking with this card. Can you talk to me about why you're doing that? Because I think that is correct. Because it's a free attack. I think that's what makes this card good. Like, it's a 2-2 bear that has the upside of once it gets brick-walled, you start making tokens. Yes. Now, I, I would I would not attack. Like, we're going to talk about this card a little later in the episode. Like, I think I would not attack if I felt like I was on the back foot and my opponent had X1s that I wanted to trade with. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't attack it into something, but if the coast is clear, I'm always attacking with this card to get in my two points of damage. Yeah, I mean, the two points of damage, theoretically, every turn is higher upside than making a 1-1 every other turn. I had a few people in my chat sort of asking me why I would attack with this and like when the two damage was clearly going to get through, and it felt like a no-brainer to me like that you would want to do that. Then they sort of argued that adding to your board is a reason to just like make a 1-1, like increase your board presence, but like... What's the point of having board presence if your opponent has a high life total, you know? Like, you don't need to increase your board presence if they're dying. you're getting them dead, yep. Yeah. Okay, sorry, go on. So, some other cards in the pack. Supreme Will, Tuna Blue for the Mana Leak slash Impulse split card. Mm -hmm. Uh, You choose one of those two modes. Aero Guide, Tuna Blue for a 2-2 Flyer that can jump another creature into the air along with it when it attacks. Firebrand Archer, one in a red for a 2-1. When you cast a non-creature spell, it deals damage to each opponent. Kenra Scrapper, uh, two and a red for a two three menace that can exert to get plus two plus O, oh, and Wretched Camel, one and a black for a two one, and when it dies, if you control a desert or there's a desert card in your graveyard, target player discards a card. So I think the best card in this pack is Steward of Solidarity. Would you agree? I agree with that. Yep. Um, and I think if Kenra Scrapper were not here, it's a reason to go into white and i think it's a bit of a white signal so i would grab it here but kendra scrapper is so good to go along with your three other red cards and it keeps you red that i think that seems like the pick here to me that is the pick that i made and it was very very close for me because i steward of solidarity has gone up for me a lot yeah uh, so it's worth noting in pick pick three there was an even for enduring hope that we didn't take and pick mm-hmm. four there was a really good white card that we didn't take so white has seemed a little bit open as well as blue and red red has obviously seemed open as well so on to Pack one, pick five here. Cards in consideration for me were Aven of Enduring Hope, four and a white for the 3-3 that gains you three life uh, on entering the battlefield. Blur of Blades, one and a red for an instant. Put a minus one, minus one counter on target creature, and it deals two damage to that creature's controller. And Unsummon, uh, return target creature to its owner's hand for a blue. Uh, you forgot Imaginary Threats, which I think is like a <laughs> four out of five stars. <laughs> Right, that's in the pack. Get, you get you out talk of about here! I'm, oh my god, I'm experiencing so much regret. <laughs> the fact that we, the fact that we, you know, like uh, limited resources, Marshall and LSV, although they probably have like millions of people tweeting at them or whatever, but like the fact that we stream means like every time that cards in a pack when I'm streaming, like my Twitch chat's just like, "Magic threats, take it!" La la yeah. la la. I mean, same with Striped Riverwinder. Everyone's like, "Oh, that's blue common." Yeah, I do that too as often as possible. Yeah, yeah because 
it's good to make fun of someone who is wrong. <laughs> anyway, uh, Aven of Nerg Hope, Blur of Blades, and Unsummon here. Yep. Yeah, that's a late Aven of Enduring Hope. This is where I think you want to pick it. Pick five. That's what I did, and especially because I'd seen the other Aven of Enduring Hope pick three, and then Steward of Solidarity pick four. I think also, like, let's say you hadn't done that, like white hadn't seemed open, and then you see this Aven. I think taking Blur of Blades here and staying red is totally fine. Yeah, I agree. This is certainly a defensible pick. Yeah. I just think it's weaker than both Unsummon and Aven of Enduring Hope. Yes, I agree. Um, You want to run down how the rest of this pack maybe went out for you yeah so pack one pick six i had a choice between sandblast and spellweaver eternal and i took spellweaver eternal over it uh, because there were some firebrand archers that could have wheeled earlier and i think my red cards wanted to go in blue red spells more than they wanted to go into red white and sandblast i guess maybe has gone down a little bit for me since mm-hmm. i took spellweaver eternal over it here you just took an Aven and you <laughs> decided now nah, i'll take a spellweaver eternal instead as my first blue card yeah seems yeah. like seems like sandblast is pretty low for you <laughs> i guess yeah that sort of like that's interesting i don't think i'd have been able to articulate it without like looking at that pick right there <laughs> and then pick seven i got a strategic planning out of a blank pack pick eight i got a firebrand archer pick nine unsummon pick 10 kindled fury pick 11 thorn moloch and then i really knew i was doing it when i wheeled pick 12 a firebrand archer wow blue red spells was just wide open the rest of the way and i jammed it and made it to the finals and lost to a very good deck that was set up with a lot of cards that are good against blue red spells yeah now i think up until a couple days ago you hadn't had much experience with this deck right no and i've drafted it like four times probably in my last six drafts it's weird i've drafted it a bunch lately and i don't know if i well i do know why i'm ending up there more and we can talk about that in just a second well so should we just dive into how you get into the deck first or how should we start yeah let's do it so i think the reason that this archetype is worth talking about uh for a full episode is because there are a lot of moving pieces to it like the five color good stuff green deck and there are a lot of changes in how you evaluate cards in this deck than you would in sort of like a generic limited sense so you may look at a card like strategic planning or like firebrand archer that you were so excited to wheel pick 12 because it's such a key card of the deck but it just doesn't really do a lot in any other sort of uh archetype in the format so i think that's why it's important to sort of be like all right so here is how all these moving pieces fit together so Two ways you can get into the deck. One, pick good payoff cards early. What are some payoff cards you think are are around for this deck? Riddleform, Magmaroth, Bloodweaver, Bloodweaver Entity. Water, Bloodwater. Bloodwater Entity. Entity. I was close. Yeah, those are those are kind of the three headliners in, and then like good removal, open fire, and the like. Yeah. So I think initially in the in our set review, like Riddleform and Magmaroth were cards that we did not rate very highly. And I think that's because we weren't quite clear on how good this deck was and how viable this deck was. So all three of these cards, Riddleform, Magmaroth, and Bloodwater Entity, are uncommons, and they're all pulls into this archetype for me. Yes, they are for they are for me now, too, and that's why I'm ending up in the deck more. Early in the format, actually up until very recently, I think I was still thinking that you were supposed to try to wheel Riddleforms and Magmaroths. Not Bloodweaver Entity, but Riddle Forms and Magmaroths were categorized in my head as cards that I wanted to try to wheel, and I think that's just wrong. I think yeah. both of those cards are reasons to move into this deck, especially Riddle Form. I think Riddle Form's insanely good in the deck. Riddle Form does it all because it not only cares about you casting non-creature spells, but it itself is a non-creature spell. So on casting it, you are triggering your other cards that care about you casting non-creature spells, and then it's benefiting from future spells that you cast. 
Right. And I think looking back to PV's draft from like when we when we analyze the Pro Tour drafts, his his pick of Riddle Form versus Torment of Venom like seems lots more reasonable to me now than it did then at the time when we were talking about it. Seems like he and his testing team had already figured that out that Riddle Form is a reason to go into this deck, not a uh, benefit of being in the deck. And I think the other way you get into it is sort of a, a more um, Traditional approach that blue or red is open, like we just saw in your draft, right? Red was pretty open. Pick up some removal, and then, oh, you're starting to see late strategic plannings, late crash-throughs, firebrand archers on the wheel, that sort of thing, and then sort of move in, and then maybe get those payoff cards like Mag- Magmaroth and Riddle Form in pack two. That's how I prefer to get into the deck, but I think both ways are viable. So there are less moving pieces than in the five-color green stuff deck, uh, five-color good stuff green deck, rather. I think we can sort of break down the cards for this archetype into three different categories. Cards that care about non-creature spells, uh, removal slash tempo slash tricks, and spells that replace themselves. So I think the first thing to really talk about is to look at the payoff cards for the deck, the cards that care about non-creature spells. Now we just talked about the first tier of those cards, Riddle Form, Magmaroth, and Bloodwater Entity as pulls into this deck. What are the cards that comprise the second tier? Yeah, uh, second tier is Spellweaver Eternal and Firebrand Archer, the two two drops. And those are really, that's really what kind of determines for me whether or not your deck comes together is the number of those cards that you have. I would say for your deck to be like a good blue-red spells deck, you really want a minimum of four of some combination of Firebrand Archers and Spellweaver Eternals. And you would play as, I would play up to like eight of those combinations of cards in the deck, I think. Yeah, it would be hard to imagine having too many of these. We'll talk later about sort of the ratio of creatures to spells that you want in this deck, and it's it's pretty even, but I think you're going to max out in Eternals and Archers. I can't imagine leaving any of these in the sideboard. No, I would never cut an Eternal or an Archer. Now, there's one other common creature in this format that has a sort of Spells Matter prowess trigger on it, and that's Thorned Moloch, the 2 and a red 2-2 two, two with prowess that gets first strike when it attacks. How do you feel about this card? I think it slots into this deck just fine. It's certainly considerably worse than Spellweaver Eternal and Firebrand Archer. Yeah. But in the deck, it feels it, it attacks like a 3-3 first striker, right? If you're blue-red, your opponent always has to respect this card as a 3-3 first striker, mm-hmm. um, which is makes it sort of a 2-2 pseudo-unblockable early in the game, at least. Yeah, for sure. I think it slots in fine. Uh, I do think, however, like Kenra Scrapper is a generic card, just 2 and a red for the 2-3 menace. I think that's still better than Thorn Moloch in the deck. I also think that three toughness on Scrapper does sort of uh, make a difference that it can block a little better on turn three. Because the thing that I have found sometimes with this deck that is a problem is that it it re- so it is a, it is an ag- aggressive tempo based deck. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. So the fact that you're playing two mana two ones that don't block particularly well, and that car- and they're cards that you don't want to be blocking with. Like I want my Firebrand Archer to be around as long as possible so it can deal my opponent five six damage. Um, I don't want to block with my Spellweaver Eternal because I want to at least get my Afflict two trigger. So Kenra Scrapper at least allows you to block a little bit better than your embarrassing three mana two two Thorned Moloch. Yeah, and I think another three drop that slots well into the deck is Aerial Guide. That's not like actually blue red spells. Yeah, because it it's also a terrible blocker. But if you're <laughs> in an in an ideal world, it jumps your Spellweaver Eternals and Firebrand Archers, which yes. is which can be super valuable as far as getting in damage. 
Yeah. I have found because there's Bloodwater Entity, there's Open Fire, there's Scrapper, there's Moloch, there's Aerial Guide, that your three drop slot does get a little clogged in this deck. And especially with your low curve, I think when you're doing this deck correctly, you're, you are playing a number of one drops, you are playing a number of two drops, your curve is quite low. Your three drop slot, I think those slots fill up pretty quickly, and I often don't find room for the Aerial Guides, the Thorn Mollocks, and the Kenra Scrappers. But they are quite serviceable in the deck. Yep, absolutely. All right, so that's the suite of cards. And sorry, I should make a disclaimer. We're only going to be talking about Amonkhet cards for our run-through of this deck, and then we'll talk about the cards to look out for. Or sorry, we're talking about our Devastation cards in this run-through, and then we'll look at Amonkhet cards uh, at the end to, to look out for when you're getting into the last pack. Yeah, because you're you're like you're either in this deck or not by that time. And exactly. It's, it's like so the the important cards for drafting that deck are all in Hour of Devastation and picking those. I mean, I like I consider myself a very good drafter, and I've drafted this deck. I had drafted this deck like five or six times now, and I was still today like putting picks in your chat that I wasn't sure about. So even mm-hmm. in these tiers, like I wasn't sure if I was supposed to pick Bloodwater Entity or Magmaroth, and I think I think Bloodwater Entity is right. That's what you said, and it ended up being so. very good. So I think those those go Riddle Form, then Bloodwater Entity, then Magmaroth in yes. order of goodness in the deck. I agree. And what do you think about Spellweaver Eternal versus Firebrand Archer? I I think they're almost comparable. I know, I know you think Spellweaver Eternal is slightly better. I think Spellweaver Eternal is certainly better in the beginning of the game. But I think mm-hmm. Firebrand Archer is better than Spellweaver Eternal at the end of the game. Yep. Uh, because it's getting in those pings that your opponent can't deal with and get through the last points of damage. Now, Spellweaver Eternal does two with the Afflict, but... Firebrand Archer has the potential to do more than that over the course of the end of the game if you get stalled out. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, so I think the next tier of cards to look at is Removal Spells, Tempo, and Tricks. You want to run us through those? Yeah, uh, kind of in order of goodness here. Uh, number one, Open Fire and Abrade. Pretty comparable. Abrade's obviously better than Open Fire, but they're both clear head and shoulders above the rest of the cards. Yeah. And then Unquenchable Thirst has done serious work, assuming you get two to three deserts at a minimum, I would say. Yeah, and I think, again, and we'll talk later about the land and, and how many deserts you may want to be running in a deck like this, but even without any deserts, I'd be fine running one thirst because you often end up in racing situations and your creatures are gonna, or your opponent's creatures are going to be tapped. So one non-deserted thirst in your deck is not embarrassing. I would agree, and I would also say it'd be hard to get like more than three deserts in this deck because I think deserts are high picks, and lots of the cards in this deck are contended. I think this is a pretty hot deck right now that a lot of people are trying to draft. I agree. Next would be Unsummon and slash Consign to Oblivion. I think this card is super important, and I think if your deck doesn't have an Unsummon in it, it's not a good blue-red spells deck. I ran three. I had I thought I had an excellent version of the deck today, and I ran three Unsummons, and I was happy with all three of my Unsummons. Yeah, I was going to say, I think this sort of reminds me of the Eternals and the Archers. Like, I can't imagine having any Unsummons in my sideboard. No, and I even cited in, I played against like a dirtily green deck, and I cited in two wins of rebuke. Also, I had three unsummons and two wins of wow. rebuke. And I, just, I just, I just murdered my opponent. It was not close to being close because they were trying to cast Colossipedes. Yeah, uh, and I had card draw to make up for the card disadvantage of using one mana to return their creature to their hand. That's amazing. <laughs> and then Inferno Jet uh, finish for the deck. This one's a pretty. I, I am still not sure where to pick this card. Honestly, uh, this is the five and a red for six damage to the face, and it has cycling. It's very good in the deck. I was I was skeptical in my deck with it. It was the only six mana cost card in my deck, but it won me a game where I went. I had no business winning. I played, I had done a little bit of damage in the early game, and I had a Bloodwater Entity in hand, and I Inferno Jetted my opponent's pace, played Bloodwater Entity, bought back Inferno Jet, and Inferno Jetted my opponent's face again. 
I think that's not an uncommon thing that this deck can do. I also think because open fire can go to the face, this deck has the ability to deal a lot of damage early and then doesn't have a lot of reach uh, outside of being able to tempo people out with cards like Unsummon. So Inferno Jet really provides a huge band-aid for this deck in terms of like shoring up the damage that you need to finish out the game yep it's been good i i after playing it today i am convinced that it belongs in the deck regardless of what the rest of your mana curve looks like we can swap the next two i think i agree with you yeah uh so next uh would be puncturing blow two red red to deal five damage something at sorcery speed and exile it it's kind of a clunky card but it's a removal spell that gets stuff dead and you're gonna need that in the deck because um, games aren't always going to go according to plan, and it clears the way for your Spellweaver Eternals and your Firebrand Archers. Yeah, I think Electrify is better than it, but you're certainly going to pick Puncturing Blow and play it in the deck happily, I think. For sure. And then next is Blur of Blades, which has also impressed me. I lost a game yesterday that I shouldn't have lost because I didn't leave up Ambuscade mana because I thought there was no way I could lose, and my opponent had two Firebrand Archers on the table, mm-hmm. and then they played another Firebrand Archer, and went blur of blades, blur of blades, and then they top decked, and then they top decked a third blur of blades to kill me, and it was rough. Blur of blades with a firebrand archer is just what's that uh, lava spike, right? Yep, which is good. That's a card you would want in blue red spells. Yeah. So all of those are kind of fall under the category of removal spells, tempo, and tricks. Mm-hmm. And then moving on to the next like sort of moving piece group in the deck would be spells that replace themselves. Do you want to run run through that for us? Yeah, so the reason that this deck is viable, I think not only is really this category of cards. If your all your spells were removal and unsummons, you would run out of those pretty quickly because you'd be able to cast like three of them and then your hand would be empty. So the thing that really fuels this deck is the cards that trigger all of your spells matter cards that replace themselves. So the two huge pieces at common in the format are crash through and strategic planning. Cards that I think we dismissed pretty heavily in our set review that I think now we see a real home for and I'm really excited about these cards. Now these are the cards that I think you don't need to take highly that really can come around on the wheel. You can grab those archers fifth sixth pick and be like oh i remember seeing a crash through in my first pack and i'm gonna happily snatch that up and put it in the deck but i think if you're if you know you're in blue red spells i would not be embarrassed about picking these cards like third fourth pick out of a weak pack agreed the next uh card i have on this list is sunset pyramid and i've got see a little note here from ben (laughs) werney this should be number one imo so sunset pyramid (laughs) is the two colorless artifact that uh has two tap draw card and two tap uh scry one um you get to do the two tap draw card thing three times it has three counters on it when it comes into play you think it's the best best of these yeah it's so good it triggers all your non-creature spell stuff and it's repeated draws and then scries when you run out of draws i feel like in this deck i'm gonna i I disagree with you because i feel like i don't want to be investing mana later to draw cards on in stuff that doesn't uh trigger prowess that's interesting. I think Sunset Pyramid's raw power level is enough better than Crash Through and Strategic Planning. That doesn't bother me. Totally agree. I mean, I'm thrilled to have one in my deck, but I'm just saying I think... Uh... So so if, if, you're, if you know you're in blue-red spells mm-hmm. and seventh pick you see a Crash Through versus a Sunset Pyramid, you're telling me you're taking Crash Through there? No, I'm taking Sunset Pyramid. Well, then shouldn't it be number one on the list? I, but I don't want... I, I want basically exactly one. That's why I don't think it's number one on the list. Like, mm. I'm not running four Sunset Pyramids in my deck. I will run four Crash Throughs in my deck. I agree. I only want exactly one Sunset Pyramid, but I think it's a great card, so I think you need to 
pick it higher than you're picking crash throughs and strategic plannings? I guess, well, mommy and daddy are fighting on the podcast, but <laughs> I think that, like, I think that you, uh, I don't know. I, yeah, we're saying this, we clearly agree that, like, it's a very good card. I would take it over crash through, but I want, I don't want more than one. So that makes me think I need to, I like want it a little lower on the list, but whatever. Okay. Yeah, we're splitting hairs. We're you splitting want Sunset hairs. Pyramid in the deck. You don't want more than one. Crash through and strategic planning are really more of the like nuts and bolts of this deck. I agree. And then there is, I'm saying this right, Tragic Lesson. Tragic Lesson, yes. Okay, Tragic Lesson, the two and a blue. Draw two, discard a card, or bounce a land to your hand. Uh, and Traveler's Amulet. Surprise, surprise, because the things aren't saying instant or sorcery. It's just non-creature spell. Traveler's Amulet is a one-mana non-creature spell that replaces itself in a way. So in a pinch, this can help trigger prowess and talk about the card that we've been waiting to discuss, but it's a nice one drop for your imminent doom. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think Traveler's Amulet is as like, you know, people are really high on deserts right now. Traveler's Mm -hmm. Amulet has a similar impact on your deck in blue red spells as a desert does in a non blue red spells deck. Like it is a land that has a very, very good effect for your deck. Yeah. And, and is, is, you know, thinning your deck of a land, which is slightly relevant. So yeah, you talked about Imminent Doom. This card is gas in this deck. I finally got to play with it. I've been ever since you drafted the Imminent Doom deck, I was on the lookout for it, and it's never come together for me. And it finally mm-hmm. came together for me yesterday, and I crushed with it. I three owed, and it was not very close to being close. Anytime I had Imminent Doom in my deck, and my chat, my Twitch chat was, I kept picking cards that went with Imminent Doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I had a really tough pick in pack three of angler drake versus magma spray and mm-hmm. i was going to take angler drake and at the last second i switched to magma spray and i think it was totally right one mm-hmm. because of imminent doom and two because of how focused my curve was mm-hmm. so my twitch chat was making the point that my deck did nothing if i didn't draw imminent doom and i think that was just just not correct because all of the cards in my deck were working towards tempoing my opponent out like that's that's why imminent doom is good in the deck because all of the ones the twos and the threes that you want to trigger imminent doom already are excellent cards in this blue red spells deck yeah so imminent doom i think let's talk two things because i'm sure a lot of people have not had the opportunity to play with this card a lot or against this card a lot um they may have like watched some streams or some draft videos how many one drops because i think one drops is the 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 reason that this deck uh or this card is is viable how many one drops do you want in your deck for imminent doom at a minimum four i think four is fine i think four four i'm happy i think and what are the one drops? So you've got Traveler's Amulet, you've got Crash Through, you've, you've got, got Magma Kindle, Spray, Kindled Fury, Magma Unsummon. Spray, Unsummon, Proven Combatant. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're they're out there. There's non-embarrassing one drops. And I think the fact that Crash Through is such an important piece for this deck as a one mana thing that triggers all your prowess and replaces itself, and it is a uh, one drop for Imminent Doom. I think that's uh, that's where it's at right there. Yeah, it, it's, and it's very good. If you haven't had the chance to play with it, if you have a curve that supports it, it takes over the game. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, you see, you have Imminent Doom and a one-drop in your hand, and you just go, great, I'm saving that. I'm going to go do nothing, do nothing, Imminent Doom, win. Because that turn when you go one-drop, two-drop after playing Imminent Doom, or even you go Imminent Doom on turn four with a one-drop, like... It's it's brutal. You don't need to act. You don't need to get up to more than one, two, three with imminent doom, and you've gotten more than a card's worth of value out of it. Yeah, and one thing I didn't know if you've got an instant of the same converted mana cost that you're already trying to hit. Like if you're on three counters and you play a three drop creature and you have an open fire in hand, you can put the imminent doom trigger on the stack and then cast your open fire and trigger it again, and you'll get two three damage shots out of your imminent doom. 
Yeah, very corner case, but good to know. Speaking of dirtily enchantments that might slot into this deck, how do you feel about Swarm Intelligence? Uh, well, I played it yesterday for the first time ever. Yeah? <laughs> I texted you a picture. I cited it in again in a really grindy matchup, uh, but I don't think it belongs in this deck at all. No? <laughs> no, because your deck's already winning. You don't want a seven-man enchantment in your deck. <laughs> yeah. Same thing we said in the set review still applies. Yeah, I would agree. Um, So other cards besides Imminent Doom that I think surprisingly work well in this deck are Dagger of the Worthy, because... Dagger of the Worthy does trigger these cards and turns your embarrassing two mana two ones into real threats later in the game. I think I'm lower on Dagger of the Worthy than I was at the start of this format just because of how slow the format has, or how much the format has slowed down for me. But I do think it still slots into a few decks, and this is definitely one where I'm happy to have exactly one dagger. Another card that has surprised me moving into cards of uh, from Amonkhet, Soul Scar Mage, a card that I thought was nearly unplayable in triple Amonkhet, even though I know people just love their aggro red white decks and living the dream with Soulscar Mage plus Blazing Volley. But I really think Soulscar Mage is fantastic in this deck because of the amount of prowess triggers you're able to get. Yeah. And the last one I have on this list is Reduced to Rubble. This is really, I think, on the weaker side, but the fact that it's two spells for your firebrand archers or your uh whatever your spellweaver eternals is pretty good tacked onto one card has a drawback of being a counter spell in the first half which is not ideal for triggering riddle forms to be able to attack etc yeah i would say it's like a like a bad version of a strategic planning exactly yeah all right what what's next on this list we want to talk about cards that are good but maybe not quite at home in this deck yeah, uh, it pains my heart a little bit to see this first card on the list. Vizier of the Anointed. That's our kind of been our poster child for Lords of Limited. Yeah. And Skolar just, just, just decreed on stream that it is his favorite card in our Devastation hands down. Bar yeah, none. I mean, that, I, I, I love this card so much. I think... It's a little dirtily for this deck. Yeah. yeah. It's not what that deck's playing for the long game, and this deck is playing to use resources and tempo to get your opponent dead as quickly as possible. I think your deck that you posted on Twitter with Imminent Doom, like, I saw the two Proven Combatants, and I was like, ugh, he's just, like, throwing the Proven Combatants in for Imminent Doom. But you had the Vizier in there, and all that together, I was like, no, I can get behind all of this for this deck. Yeah, I think the Vizier made the Proven Combatants worthwhile for the Imminent Doom. Yeah, um, but I think that's a corner case, and I think you want to... The, the embalming and the eternalizing is a bit slower than the tempo-based plays that this deck is trying to make. Yeah, and then Aerial Guide and Kendra Scrapper, we talked about the 3-drop slot already being clogged a little bit, but they can they can both go in the deck, but maybe aren't ideal. Mm-hmm. And then Counter Spells and Gale Strike, because they trigger prowess when you don't want to be triggering prowess. You want to trigger prowess on your turn, especially for Riddle Form and Spellweaver Eternal. They do okay work with Firebrand Archer, but in general, you want, you want to be playing spells on your turn mm-hmm. to trigger that stuff. So you can put them in the deck, but they're not gonna be as good as cards like crash through or strategic planning i think and then wall of forgotten pharaohs which is a great card and if you've got deserts is good but i think your two drops are supposed to be firebrand archers spellweaver eternals and as many of those as you can get i think you're also not running a lot of deserts in these decks yeah i would agree so i think this might be less less likely to be turned on by turn three if you play it on turn two you know but yeah you, you just want those eternals and those archers 
And then Deemworthy is a little expensive and clunky from Amonkhet, and usually you're trying to cycle that anyway to get yourself a two-for-one, yeah. uh, which which doesn't trigger your Spells Matter cards. I mean, you're not cutting it from the deck probably, but I think it's going to be less good than you think. I, yeah, I think you're not cutting it, but you might then decide when you see it in the Amonkhet pack to take a card that is probably worse on power level but better in your deck, you know? Yeah, I would agree. Great segue. Let's look at the Amonkhet cards that you want to look out for. So you've you've set yourself up for a good blue-red spells deck in packs one and two. What are the card evaluations you're looking at for Amonkhet? Well, Enigma Drake and Warfire Javelinier, they're still good. They're still the top-tier cards you're looking for in this deck, I think. Yes, I would agree, except there's some... like That's the, that's the other tricky thing about this deck. There's some versions of the blue-red spells deck now that are like blue-red prowess, that mm-hmm. don't actually have that many spells. So I've had uh, a couple blue-red spells deck where Enigma Drake has not been very good. Um, so something to be on the lookout for. So, and that's because your spells are coming from riddle forms and what what else? What things that aren't actually spells in your yard? Traveler's Amulet, your mm-hmm. Sunset Pyramids, your uh, Trials, your just basically artifacts and enchantments and things like that that are going to turn on your Spellweaver Eternals and your Riddle Forms and your Firebrand Archers, but don't work with Enigma Drake. That makes a lot of sense to me. So Enigma Drake and Warfire Javelinier are insane if you have the spells version of the deck, but there's also a version of the deck that actually doesn't have like the critical mass of spells that Enigma Drake and Warfire Javelinier need. Yeah, maybe you've also got some unquenchable thirsts hanging around. Yes, that yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. Um, all right, so then I think just a tier below that, Magma Spray, still fantastic removal i think it has gotten a little worse in sort of the edition of hour of devastation but you want this as a one drop you want this as a cheap trigger for prowess and you want this as a great removal spell well and it clears the way for your spell weaver eternals and your firebrand archers early in the game and one of the ways this deck loses is your opponent playing like an embalmer yeah you drop embalmer and if you can magma spray it like that really frees up your spell weaver eternals to do some damage yeah and i think uh trial of zeal and to a lesser extent trial of knowledge trial of knowledge i think is a little clunky at four mana but it does slot into the thing that triggers prowess and replaces itself it actually replaces itself twice trial of zeal just a fantastic removal spell basically a sorcery speed open fire and cartouche of knowledge i think is huge in this deck because it triggers prowess it replaces itself and it puts your firebrand archers and your spellweaver eternals into the sky Yep, I am terrified of that start from my opponents. If my opponent goes Spellweaver Eternal and then suits it up with a, a Cartouche of Knowledge, it's it's you're looking at a lot of damage. Yeah, you're just like, wait, what removal do I have? Like, I need to draw it now or I'm dead in three turns. Yep. Um, there's Bounce of Winds of Rebuke in the format, which hopefully you've grabbed a lot of unsummons from the first pack, so you don't need this as much. But still really good. You heard Ben say it. Three, three unsummons, two Winds of Rebuke. What else are we looking at? Yeah, some some brute strengths, uh, combat tricks. I would like, I think, one brute strength and one uh, puncturing jump. What's the actual name of that card? <laughs> Kindle, Kindle Fury. Fury. <laughs> I think I would want one of each of those before I wanted two of one of them. Yeah. But yeah, it's a card that slots in the deck nicely. Tormenting Voice is another one of those cards that replaces itself, similar to your strategic planning. Mm-hmm. Blazing Volley is not an embarrassing main deck card. I would be happy main decking one Blazing Volley in this deck, and I think yeah. it's an excellent sideboard card. And it's also a card that this deck cannot beat in a million years out of the opposing deck. And then some rares, if you're so lucky, Insult to Injury and Commit to Memory are both insane in the deck. Yeah. Hieroglyphic Illumination, another card draw spell that replaces itself at four mana. Um, So probably not as good as your crash throughs and your strategic plannings, but still, if you need that piece of the deck, fills that slot nicely. Yep. 
Um, and I think Limits of Solidarity functions similarly to Inferno Jet in the deck as a finisher, um, but is probably worse than Inferno Jet in that slot. I think so, but yeah, I think worth looking out for in that pack. Yeah, and you we've both been discussing, like, I think with our Twitch chats, ideal number of lands to run in the format in general. Yeah. And I think this deck is maybe a good chance to talk about that real quick. We're going to take a, a little bit of a non-sequitur here and talk about lands. I guess not maybe not a non-sequitur, but we're going to veer off a little bit. Having cycling deserts in your deck help to mitigate flood, right? Yes. Yep. So when you have them in your opener, you play them tapped, you're playing your lands on curve. When you draw them late, you cycle them away because you're looking for another spell. The thing about having cycling deserts in your deck is that you want to run more lands. Like, you don't want to run a 15-land deck with two or three deserts because then a majority of your lands are... Not a majority, but a, a high percentage of your lands are coming into play tapped. And that's pretty awkward because probably the reason you're running 15 lands is because you have a low curve and you're trying to go one drop, two drop, three drop. Would you agree with that? Yes. So in a deck that would might normally want 15 lands, if you have three to four deserts, you can get away with running 16 or 17 lands. Right. So this is a deck that I think is pretty aggressive, that if you're so lucky to have an imminent doom, you're going to be running a lot of one drops. Your deck's kind of low to the ground. You're going to want a lower number of lands. But I think if you have deserts, you can still run like 16 or 17 lands with two to three deserts. And you're mitigating that flood to mana screw proportion pretty well, would you say? Yeah, I would agree with that. I've been very happy running, uh, in specifically in blue-red spells, I've been very happy running also 15 lands like two travelers amulets has been like i've had i have not ended up with lots of deserts because i think there's so many pieces to fit in the deck Mm -hmm. that i've had a couple times i've had blue red spells with zero deserts and i've run 15 lands and two travelers amulets because you can get travelers amulets late still i think Mm -hmm. so i think that's important i I texted you like a photo of a green white aggro deck i drafted the other day that had like three appeals to authority and i also had some cycling deserts i was trying to run 15 lands but you were like no i think with with cycling deserts, you should go up lands because you don't want to get mana screwed. And then when you're flooded, you can cycle away those two or three deserts. And that makes total sense to me. Yeah, and I've, I've, I've found myself running 17 to 18 lands more in this format than I have anything else. Or less lands with Traveler's Amulets in land slots. Like 16 lands, two Traveler's Amulets. There's so many mana sinks too. Like, I think if you're trying to run... I, I had a blue-white deck that was running Overwhelming Splendor. And it had mana sinks. Like, it had a Sunset Pyramid. I was like, great, I'm running 18 lands. Easiest decision of my life. Like, I have no ramp to get to this 8-drop, so I'm going to run an extra land. I have ways, like, places to put that mana. I have, like eternalizers and embalmers as mana sinks like i think the amount of lands you can run in this format wants to be higher and i think people sort of got stuck in the lower land mindset of triple amonkhet and haven't quite come out of that i would agree i think that's where the cause of all this is coming from yeah when i when i see 15 or 16 lands suggested i frequently say no we want to run more than one land than whatever the suggestion is because of deserts and because of travelers amulets and because of mana sinks all the things you just listed yeah all right so this deck I think the cat's certainly out of the bag by now about this deck. It's very powerful. There's a lot of cool pieces to the deck. How do you play against it? Yeah, I think it's really important to know that this deck is a glass cannon. So that comes from, that term comes from games like uh, League of Legends, where you have a character that's very powerful, but very easy to kill. Squishy would be another term. This deck's squishy. (laughs) It functions on all these moving pieces. And if you can disrupt any of the moving pieces, and so it's very reliant on your own draws, um, like it's very easy for this deck to do nothing too if you miss playing your firebrand archers and spellweaver eternals on curve 
Um, and if you can disrupt that, if you're the opponent, uh, that's also an easy way to shut down the deck. So life gain works very well against this deck because a lot of times blue-red spells is trying to leverage its cards for damage rather than card advantage. They're firing away unsummons, they're firing away burn-ish type spells to get life loss in. So life gain essentially turns into almost a card's worth of value then. Removal, if you can kill their Firebrand Archers or Spellweaver Eternals, especially Spellweaver Eternals, rather than blocking them, because if you're trying to block Spellweaver Eternal with a 2-2 and they can trigger Prowess twice and get it so that it doesn't die and they get the Afflict trigger and then you're staring it down again and you're going to have to give them another Afflict trigger off of it, that's a problem. So I think having removal to trade with those cards rather than trying to block them works very well, especially one damage effects or negative one negative one counters like uh, splendid agony or blazing volley type things blur of blades all, all play very well against this deck yeah tokens and cheap x4s like your dune beetles or your those who serves from the amonkhet pack there is nothing worse than playing this deck and being on the let's see which way does it work being on the draw and your opponent goes turn two steward of solidarity and you go turn two firebrand archer and then you're staring down like this token. Like, are you going to spend a card to get their token out of the way? You kind of almost have to. Right. So that card's very annoying to see on the other side of the battlefield. Yeah, it's really tough. I hadn't actually thought about it until you put it in the show notes for this. And I was like, oh, that's so true. Like, Oketra's Monument is such a beating against this deck. Just like any way that they can go wide and mess with your X1s is rough. Yep. And Feral Prowler is another card like in, that falls into that same category. When when your opponent plays turn two Feral Prowler, you're just thinking, God, am I, I'm going to spend a spell to kill their blocker, and then they get a card, and I'm down tempo when I'm trying to tempo them out. Except with Spellweaver Eternal. Spellweaver Eternal matches up quite fine against uh, yeah, Feral yeah, Prowler. Yeah, 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 it does. And maybe that's a nod for Spellweaver Eternal over Firebrand Archer. It probably is just better than Firebrand Archer. And then just as sort of a game plan if you can try to avoid investing into large singular threats like if you are a ramp deck if you can try to avoid cards that are big and clunky that don't have like significant enter the battlefield triggers because they're going to get unsummoned and you're going to lose yeah and another thing would be like to make sure you don't keep clunky hands like you can't keep a hand where your first play is turn four because you're just going to get you're just going to get run over yeah for sure um, so we kind of put together a list of cards here that play well against the deck. Do you want to run through some of those? Yeah, so cards we touched on, Steward of Solidarity, Aven of Enduring Hope as incidental life gains. You talked about, Sunscourge Champion does the same thing. Things that punish X1s, Proven Combatant, Bane Whip Punisher is a two-for-one against X1s, Fervent Paincaster just mows down the field, Blur of Blades, and Feral Prowler to some extent stonewalling these X1s. Amonkhet cards that play well against the deck, Again, punishing X ones. That's sort of the the theme when you're when the blue red spells deck is built on Spellweaver Eternal and Firebrand Archer. You know what you got to do. Blazing Volley, Splendid Agony, Sacred Cat. That's also two for one with life gain and punishes X ones. Cartouche of Ambition. My God, if you're like that, you how do you win through a Cartouche of Ambition? You just don't. You don't, right? You just you have to try. You have to try to hold up Unsummon when they're trying to land it. That's yeah. how you beat Cartouche you of Ambition. Hold to Cartouche of Ambition so hard. Uh, Ruthless Sniper. If uh, she has support. Festering Mummy, Doom Dissenter, another two-for-one for X1s. Magma Spray, uh, Stinging Shot can be good out of the board against some versions of this deck, right, to to shoot down the Bloodwater Entities or maybe maybe even Aerial Guides. Uh, Oketra's Monument, and even in a pinch, Grasping Dunes can turn your land into a rem- removal spell. Yeah, so that's, that's how you want to try to take down this deck. I think we got to end there, right? <laughs> yeah, I think we probably do. It's a lot. It's a yeah. lot to discuss. Uh, we keep we keep wanting to have like certain HOU cards to discuss, but we're trying to keep the episodes under an hour. I think generally from what I've read, and, and feel free to tell us if you are looking for more content, 
the ideal podcast length is somewhere around an hour or maybe agree. slightly less yeah and then just on the editing end on my end now that school started <laughs> uh, if we if we get much longer than an hour it really cuts into the amount of time i have to edit edit the podcast and then if i'm still trying to stream it all too yeah well maybe next week we'll do like a state of the format address or something and, <laughs> and like go through all these cards that we've been meaning to discuss yeah for sure and i think if you watch our twitch streams you've probably heard here and there about some of these these cards because they tend to be soapbox cards for us at least the ones on the list that i look at tend yeah. to be cards that i rant and rave about every time <laughs> i see them when i'm drafting <laughs> wait i think we have to talk about one card on this list ben what is that hazard's undying fury oh my god <laughs> yeah because it goes in this deck right well it goes in bad versions of this deck. Yeah, it goes in bad versions of this deck. So <laughs> you were you were you were drafting with me when we yeah. did it the first time, right? You were skyping in, and we had a suboptimal build of blue red spells. I basically we say. made you force the deck. Like I think we saw Riddle form second. And I was like, let's do it because <laughs> you you hadn't had a lot of experience with this deck. I think I played it more than you. Um, I was like, let's let's do it. Like we'll figure it out. And we got a bad version of this deck. But Hazards on Dying Fury was in the sideboard. It was, and we cited it in, uh, and then we, after citing it in, it was so good that we ended up running a main deck for rounds two and three. Yeah. And that made sense to me, because what I've been saying about that card all along is that it's a bad card, but that it's powerful, and it should be put into bad decks where you're actively interested in upping the level of variance in your deck. And frequently, like, since our deck was not good... We were praying to draw Hazard's Undying Fury because we had a shot then of casting like three of our bad spells in a row. <laughs> it's so it was so funny. We were like every time just like, yes, we get to cast Hazard's Undying Fury. And we ended up two oneing with that terrible deck. And I think Did we? Yeah. We played all nine games, but we did two one. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did yeah. two one. And thanks to Hazaret's Undying Fury, I might add. I definitely think so. There were definitely games where, like, nothing else was going to do that, where we just got to cast Hazaret's Undying Fury and, like, play three spells off of it. For sure. All right. So that little little story for the podcast. Yep. So next week, uh, we keep having maybe Sealed in here. I know <laughs> you are officially off of the Sealed train. You did one Sealed on stream, and <laughs> you complained about it nonstop. I will, I will continue the to entire complain about time. that. Yeah, I was miserable. Again, I played all, so it was a, a five-round Sealed. I played all 15 games. I 3-2'd at the end of it. I was just miserable. It just doesn't feel good to, like, be I, I feel like if a sealed pool has like some give to it it might be fun to like be able to switch between some decks or like build a couple different things my pool did not have that it was like clearly you want to be black white you have good black white cards fine so but it's like doesn't feel good to have to like play games with a deck that like you didn't choose to have that's why i like to draft because i get to like figure out the deck i want to build right and one of, one of your opponents had like three different decks right that was that was a hilarious <laughs> oh yeah yeah i play against something like that just felt like this weird meta game of seal just like like my opponent won game one and then sided into a different deck they were trying to get you to side in your chandra's defeats and then psych you out that's so stupid give me a break oh my <laughs> god i have so many decks get out of here I, I will be playing some Sealed sometime before GPND. I'm going to try to do, like, I also am not, like, a huge lover of Sealed, but I do think it's a different format than Draft, and you, but I think you probably get the most value out of, like, your first five Sealed, and then after that, there's, like, rapidly diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. So I'm probably going to do, like, five Sealed or so, and I'll listen to the Limited Resources episode on Sealed, and maybe try to watch some of the big name streamers, like, people have recommended, uh... 
Darkest Mage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, he's great. And uh, Semulin, I know, does a lot of sealed and is great. Um, so I'm going to try to check out their streams or maybe some of their VODs where they're doing where they're doing sealed. Yeah, I think that's those seem like great sources to look at sealed format. Yeah, and then huge thank you to Salty Pretzels, who has composed our intro and outro music for the podcast. And outro music was new last week. If you haven't listened all the way to the end, be sure to do it. It's awesome, and it brings a smile to my face every time I hear it. And he's now also streaming. Uh, last night, he streamed himself making uh, a song for Skolar. It was awesome. He like took suggestions from Twitch chat and did it there live. And I was like, for non-music people, what he was doing was insane. I had a feeling from him writing music for our podcast and just like some of the other stuff he had on Spotify that he was really talented, but watching him do it live and how fast he was doing it and how well he improvises was just like blowing my mind last night. I have to go watch that. I didn't know that he did that on stream. I heard the song today on Skolar's stream, but I didn't, I didn't know that he was streaming when he wrote it. That's awesome. I got to check that out. Yeah, it was super cool. Um, if people want to find us, we've talked enough about Twitch today. If you haven't come spam our chat yet, what are you waiting for? Check me out at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware and check Ben out at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Both of us or either of us are live almost, if not every day. Um, you can also check us out on Twitter at the same names, Lord Tupperware and Mr. Metronome. Send us screenshots of your deck. Check out screenshots of our decks on our feed. They're great places to get in touch with us. Yeah, and if you've got any feedback about the show or questions for us, you've got a pick you're not sure about, ideas for the show, give us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Yep, thanks everybody. See you later.